tend to be evoking a sense of the underworld. I think that's fair to say. They want to live the free lifestyle of a criminal, a man who is not bound by the laws of other men, someone who takes to their iron steed and rides the highways as if there was no responsibilities in the world. We also understand the way these people finance themselves is through criminal acts. I think that's generally a given. There's no retirement plan. There's... It leads me to the initial purchase of a Harley Davidson motorcycle because it's hard for me to imagine one of these free wheeling types going into a Harley Davidson dealership and sitting down and having a conversation about 2.5% APR over a 16 month term to fully gain ownership over the motorcycle of their desire. There is a disconnect for me and it's something I actually want to do. I want to kind of just find a Harley Davidson dealership and hang out there long enough to see this kind of person coming and buy. Because I'm assuming they actually have to just do a straight up cash transaction because their criminal lifestyle doesn't lead them to have a series of credit cards or, or things like that. So it has to be the profits from drugs. As the dealer of the motorcycles, not the drugs... When someone comes in and purchases a large item, such as a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, there has to be some accountability and suspicion because the people who sell Harley-Davidsons are legitimate businessmen, I assume. Again, perhaps that's not true. Perhaps that's the mistake I've made is in making the assumption that Harley-Davidson dealerships are legitimate entities and not just fronts for criminal organizations. But since the Harley-Davidson Corporation has been negatively impacted by Trump's tariff war, it makes me think that there are overall legitimate businesses as the main front of this organization. Really what I'm saying is I'd like to see a car dealer, or in this case a motorcycle dealer, sit down with a gang member and actually work out the nuances of purchasing a new motorcycle because I just want to see how that conversation would go. The direct appeal would be to actually say, let's not worry about this paperwork, here's the best deal and I'll give it to you and off they go. Uh, playing off the desire to not follow those rules in such a way that the person has already set up their life. So appeal to the life they've chosen and give them things no strings attached, but that's actually probably where you could bump up the price, profit-wise, but actually giving them less off the sticker price. Look, I just want to see a criminal buy a motorcycle. Horror question. Batman is supposed to be one of the most gifted martial artists in the world. Why do writers keep depicting Batman struggling against the Joker in a fistfight? It's actually a really interesting question. The Joker is supposed to be a weird mirror of Batman. So if Batman 
plans everything out in advance. The Joker does the same, but in the opposite way. So he's crazy and unpredictable. Uh, that actually means that Batman is predictable, except when he plans to be unpredictable. It's a bit of a quandary. It's a little confusing. But at no point does anyone say that the Joker is not good at fighting. He's not good at martial arts. That's never put out there. We kind of get that feeling because he's usually drawn as a very slight character, which actually implies that he's a bit weak. But they never actually say that he is weak. He could be an incredibly good martial artist. He could be just as good, if not better, than Batman. We have no idea because the whole point of the Joker's background is it's a mystery. There is also the secondary idea. It was something that a website did on the internet a long time ago. It was how long could Batman be Batman? Because what you're talking about is top-level gymnast and martial artist and all these other things. And the conclusion was Batman could only be Batman for about three or four years before the damage, the injuries, the constant strain on his body would be too much for him to continue. So every fight with Batman could be post-peak Batman when he's actually on a decline and the Joker is taking advantage of those weaknesses. There is a third idea I had, and that is from my own experience. I am a black belt in judo. I'm certainly not world-class or anything, but I'm pretty good, and I don't struggle too much when I go to different clubs. The most black eyes I have ever received in my life have come from white belts, and it's because white belts are always doing weird things that a good fighter would not do. They're always doing unexpected things. There is one time, and I literally can say it this way, I smashed my eye into his knee. So it's not that he need me. I forget, we were doing some kind of groundwork technique and I rolled over really quickly and his knee was just where it shouldn't have been. And any sensible fighter wouldn't have put his knee there. And so I didn't expect it to be there. I just went with my normal instincts. I was doing the move that I normally do. Turn around, bam. I am now smashing my face into his leg. That never would have happened with a black belt. I've actually found when I fight other black belts, even ones significantly superior to me in skills, that I do not get hurt because they throw me so properly, they throw me so well that I land clean and smooth and there's no injury. Whereas I get thrown by lower level belts and quite often it hurts. I've actually found the most dangerous people to fight would be green belts. So in Canada, when I learned it was white, yellow, green, blue, brown, black. So green is basically right in the middle. And so now you have someone who has fundamentals, they have some skills, but they don't really do it properly or they don't have control over themselves. And so you're more likely to get hurt. So I actually am more cautious around sort of mid-level fighters than I am actually with high-level ones because I know with high-level ones, I can go all out and not actually worry about hurting myself or them. So just because he's a great martial artist and we assume that the Joker isn't, which is an assumption, so it might not be true, doesn't mean that the Joker isn't difficult to fight. Quora question. Is it safe to walk at night in Japan? Nope. Ninjas. So as we know in the last couple episodes, I've talked about when I was in Canada, things that went on. I've had a couple questions about reverse culture shock, which is a thing that happens. I've lived in Japan for about 18 years now. So I've lived here long enough. I've acclimatized. I'm very used to Japan and my lifestyle here. I actually feel more like Japan is home to me than other places now just because I lived here so long. So when I go back and visit Canada, which is almost annual, I do on occasion suffer from some reverse culture shock. The first thing is when I get off the airplane, 
just how many white people there are. You don't think about it, but now everywhere I go, everyone is Japanese, everyone's Asian. I'm just used to seeing Asian faces all the time on TV, uh, everywhere I go. I work with a lot of foreign people, uh, but just volume-wise, my day-to-day experience is seeing wall-to-wall Japanese people all the time. So when I go to Canada, the first thought I have quite often is, Wow, that's a lot of white people around. Then you start looking at the details, the instances of white people and start extrapolating traits. This makes me feel like I have almost a very Japanese outlook on white people because the second thought is they're very big and they're generally quite fat. I noticed that by the second day in Canada, I was unable to finish meals. At the beginning, it's all food I've wanted for a really long time, so I'm getting sort of all my favorites. My family wants to treat me. And you eat like a feast for a day or two. But then on the third day when we go out to restaurants and stuff, I just could not finish the sheer volume of food that was on my plate. And that comes from living in Japan with Japanese diets and Japanese portions. And that to me is a big, big difference is the portion in Japan tends to be smaller and you get used to that. So at first it's very, very frustrating because you're always kind of hungry and you eat extra stuff. But Once you get used to it, you're actually just eating less in general, which makes me think if I had never come to Japan, if I lived in Canada still, how fat I would probably be. I I actually think it would either be, I would work out every day and burn that off. So I'd be probably huge physically uh, with a lot of muscle or I would just be huge because I cannot conceive of eating the amount of food that people were eating around me regularly without any question at all. The other thing I found when walking around the city, and it was a small city, it wasn't like Vancouver or Toronto or these big cities where people tend to think of themselves as special because they live in the big city. It was a weird thing where everyone, the only description I can come up with is everyone looked very self-important. Like they were all trying to look, no one looked happy. They were all trying to look serious or cool all the time. I don't know what it is. And I realized, like, I know I have resting bitch face for sure. I always, when I just have my face go f- flaccid, I don't know if that's the right word, when I just have no expression, I look pissed off. And that's not intentional. That's just the shape of my face. I look angry all the time. But I figure for a population, not everyone can look like that all the time. So it must be effort or is that like a holdover from when I was growing up that I have absorbed this one aspect of culture is when you walk around and you're not smiling and stuff and you're just looking sort of uh, expressionless that you try to look like an asshole, you try to look hard. I'm not sure. And I, at this point, I can't change my face, but I did find it was actually very off-putting that I didn't feel like I could look at people or smile at them in any way and have a positive result. It seemed like everyone was always kind of angry all the time. But the biggest issue, the biggest thing I ran into is I absolutely missed my bidet. And this is something that people don't realize if you don't use it. So when I came to Japan, I never used them. We actually have them on our toilets in our house. And I never used it because it was weird, squirting water up your butt to clean your butt. It was alien to me, so I never did it. And then I listened to a podcast and the person gave a great example. If I was walking along, if you were walking along and a bird shit on your arm, you wouldn't take a piece of newspaper and wipe it off and then feel like you were clean. You would go and you'd wash it with some soap and water and you'd try to make sure everything was washed away. Why would we do that to our arm and then not take care of our butt in the same way? So after that podcast, after that idea, I was like, well, I should at least try the bidet. 
And the first time is shocking because if you've never had anyone pay attention to your rectum that way, it is a new experience, a new feeling, but very quickly it becomes comfortable. And very, very quickly after you start using it, do you realize that if you don't use it, you now just feel dirty all the time. So for the whole two weeks I was in Canada, I never actually felt clean, which was a weird experience. So there's no sort of strong conclusions there. I wasn't making notes in this, so there's actually probably a bunch of stuff I would have noticed that I haven't actually mentioned. But realistically, it's time to stop thinking and talking about Canada and move on with the world and try to find other things I can talk about, like the Hulk. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast.